Welcome to the Rapid Response RN Podcast, helping you keep your finger on the pulse of your patient's condition with real-life stories from the front lines of nursing. This podcast can help you sharpen your assessment skills, improve your ability to recognize the signs and symptoms of your patient's decline, be inspired to speak up and advocate, and know how to jump into action to promote the best outcome for your patients. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a time when I got the privilege to catch a baby and welcome into the world right in the middle of valet parking. And since I'm no expert on baby catching, I have invited a special guest to join me on the show. Ronnie Joe, welcome. I'm excited to have you with me <laughs> to help break down what exactly is happening in the final stages of labor and what to do if you happen to find yourself on the catching end of birth. Hello, Sarah and everybody t- tuning in. I'm really excited to be here and be a part of this story and, you know, share my expertise and maybe some of the stories that, you know, I have been a part of. Yay! I'm excited to have you. So before we dive into the story, I just want to take a minute to introduce you to my listeners. So let me start by saying Ronnie Jo is a badass midwife. She is exactly what I aspired to be like when I started nursing school. I wish you all could see her in the birthing room. She is strong and confident, yet brings calm and peace to the room when she walks in. She has seen me through my pregnancies and deliveries. She was there when my daughter gave birth to my grandson and has come to the ER to support my team when we're delivering babies in the trauma room. She is a strong patient advocate. She is an aspiring, inspiring coach and cheerleader when her patients feel like they just can't keep going. She leads the team with grace and she empowers women. She is smart and funny and kind and compassionate. It is such an honor to have her here on my show. So, Ronnie Joe, you obviously have found your calling, like everyone that knows you knows that, but how did you end up here as a midwife? What got you interested in midwifery in the first place? Yeah, thanks for asking this. You know, I, from a very early age, I knew I wanted to take care of people. Um, you know, when I was little, probably around six, I had to get my tonsils out. And, you know, as a young, young child or girl, it's very scary. But I will never forget the amazing care that I got from the nurses. I mean, to the littlest things of bringing me a warm blanket when I lay on the stretcher, um, to the care afterward, you know, holding the basin for me to, to throw up, I just... From then on, I knew that nursing was what I wanted to do. And so throughout the years, I never let anybody veer me off of that passion. So I helped um, at a retirement home as like a candy striper, it was called. I would help feed the residents and give them ice and just sit there and play games and talk. Um, I went on to nursing school then, but I wasn't sure what area I wanted to go into and then my sophomore year my sister got pregnant and I got to be in the room with her and it was amazing her nurse was there the whole time she went natural um, and she just helped my sister through everything and I just kind of helped as much as I could but just sat back and just was so in awe of the amazing work that the nurse was doing And then, of course, the doctor came in and caught the baby, delivered the placenta, said good job, and walked out. And then the nurse 
carried on and did everything else. And so to me, that was a little like, wow, you know, the nurse does most of the hard stuff. The doctor comes in, delivers the baby, walks out, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, I go back to my nursing professors and I'm like, okay, I got it. Labor and delivery is where I want to be. I just saw my sister have her baby. It was incredible. I told them the whole story and they were like, well, don't you know what a nurse midwife is? And I grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania and I didn't know if there was any midwives around. And so I had never heard of a nurse midwife. Um, and when they told me what it was, I just was like, that is exactly what I want to do. I want to help women through their pregnancy, deliver their baby, and not walk out right away. Be able yeah. to be at the bedside. And, and so that's what inspired me that's awesome. to go into midwifery. I had never heard that story from you. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you did that because you are awesome at oh, it. Thanks. Are there any, oh, well, before we move on, in case that my listeners don't know, like what's the big difference between say a midwife or like an OBGYN? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I get that question all the time from women that do not seek out midwifery care. They just end up on my schedule um, and I get to see them. Their partners always have questions. Their families always, you know, are kind of hesitant sometimes. What is this? nurse midwife thing. And so I love this question. I'll just start off by saying kind of how our training is. So we go to school for our bachelor's degree in nursing first, and then you go on um, to obtain a master's degree. Mine's a master's in science, but it's specific to um, midwifery. And so we become certified nurse midwives. So that's, it, it, it took me about six and a half years. Um, and that includes you know, lectures and classes and really intense clinicals. I remember, and at, at the time, I, you know, of getting my master's, I was working full-time as well. And so I would go to being at a birth and then go to work. Um, so it's kind of a really long um, process, but um, definitely worth it. So just for the listeners to know kind of what type of, you know, schooling we have, it's pretty intense. So it took me about six and a half years. Um, we specialize in taking care of low-risk, healthy women, both OB and GYN. So for OB, we're taking care of them during their pregnancy, that labor and delivery part, the immediate postpartum, and also where I am now, we like to see women back around three weeks postpartum and then six weeks postpartum um, for checkups or within that time sooner if they need to. We also do a lot of GYN, and a lot of people don't know this. We can take care of low-risk, healthy women, GYN. So I do annual exams. We do simple like GYN problems if women think they have a yeast infection or you know, they, they want some STD testing. We do birth control. Um, we can insert IUDs or intrauterine devices as well as Nexplanon. So we do a lot of birth control um, management as well. So um, low risk wise we can do, but the great thing is, and you know, where I work right now is I work in a setting where there are physicians that are always around. And so we're able to take care of higher risk patients as too. We collaborate, um, and consult our doctors, not only the doctors in my practice, but also with our specialists upstairs, our maternal, medial, um, our maternal fetal medicine doctors. So they help us with the plans for these patients that are more higher risk. Um, so, yeah. But say if a woman's in labor, you're fully capable of... 
Coaching through the labor, yes. catching the baby. So yes, that absolutely. We are trained just like a doctor to right. take care of those low risk women. The the great thing is those women that do seek out um, midwifery care, we specialize in being at their bedside, helping them to go natural and unmedicated birth. That is our true specialty. Um, so we can't do surgeries. We can't do operative deliveries. So those are the things that we always have a doctor backup. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of just the gist. But the, the amazing thing about midwifery is we are really into educating mm-hmm. and empowering women to have an active role in their pregnancy, in their plans for their birth, whether they want an unmedicated birth or if they want an epidural. I have many of my patients that I've been seeing and delivering, you know, their other babies. They come in and you're like, now Ronnie, you know I got an epidural. And I'm like, girl, I will support whatever you want for your birth. So yeah. it's just an empowerment to, to be an active, you know, participant in their yeah. care. Um, yeah. I know the difference that I know. My very first pregnancy, I had a physician. She was excellent. But I felt as though they were always thinking, like, this is some sort of pathology. Like, you are sick. You are pregnant. We're going to fix it. Yeah. And whenever I had you as a midwife, it was more like, no, this is what your body's doing. And you just kind of coached me through doing it in a way that was, like, not seen as an illness, but just this is a natural process. Yeah. And I, just, I felt like I could do it rather than, like, oh, I need to have the doctor yeah. here. I was like, no, yeah. no, we, we got this. You know, we <laughs> trust normal. Yeah. But, you know, we're also trained to be aware of things when they go astray from normal. Right. So, Like the best of both worlds. Yes, yes. So are there any patient populations or, like, aspects of your role that you're particularly passionate about or really yeah. care a lot about? I mean, I do love young women. I feel like teenagers are a very vulnerable population. And so, again, just that education and teaching them about their bodies Mm -hmm. and what they're capable of. But truly, I love every woman because they are so unique and different. And so it was really, you know, hard to think about this question um, because all women are so unique. And, you know, another thing about midwifery is we want to learn about every part of them, not just their physical. And so sometimes when I ask patients questions, they look at me like, why are you asking that? Well, I feel like I need to know about your you know, not only your physical, but your life and your yeah. family and your emotional and mental, you know, aspect, because that's make who, what makes you a whole person right. and who you really are. So each woman is unique. So that's yeah. awesome. All right. So what is the most unusual birth that you have been a part of? Yeah. <laughs> or like I, location where the birth happened? You know, in midwifery school, I was able to do some clinicals with a midwifery practice that delivered at home Mm -hmm. and the birth center. But it was still, I mean, it's still the feel like, you know, they were maybe on all fours on the bed um, or maybe squatting. So nowhere like at the grocery store or anything (laughs) like that, unfortunately, maybe sometime that will happen. But I would just say, you know, on the floor, so Uh hospital-wise, just, you know, it was her sixth baby. She was on hands and knees on her, you know, on the floor and I could tell she was getting close and there was no way I was going to be like, Hey there, do you mind just hopping into the bed? Cause I'm like, I can do this anywhere. So I just laid down a blanket on the floor and just kind of knelt and let her do her thing. So I would just say on the floor <laughs> beside the bed. That's, sounds good. <laughs> All right. So 
I do, I'm excited to share with you this story because it's definitely an unusual place to have a baby. But like you said, you can have a baby just about anywhere. So uh, let me share the story and then I'll let you drop some knowledge about birth and babies. Where I worked at the time, um, the only emergency pages that went out were code blue or rapid response. There was no like special designation for there's a baby being born somewhere. So working my regular shift, I get my pager, it goes off, it says code blue valet parking. Okay, so I started running towards valet parking circle, and as I'm running there, I'm like, put my gloves on, you know, pull them out of my fanny pack, mentally kind of preparing to do CPR inside someone's car. Uh, and as I'm running up, I see these two valet guys, and they're like signaling me towards the car that has the back door open. And it's a small car, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to crawl into the back seat with this patient to resuscitate them or get these valet guys to help me pull the patient out on the pavement. Like, I'm just kind of preparing myself for all of this. But as I get closer to the car, I hear groans coming from the back seat, and I see a woman's feet sticking out of the back seat. And I'm trying to kind of put the pieces together that, like, this is not a code blue. This is a woman <laughs> in labor. So I can do code blue, like, on adults all day, every day. I've literally been a part of, like, hundreds in the past 17 years. But a baby being born is not exactly my specialty. And as much as I'm fascinated with the whole process of babies being born, and I've read up on all the stages of labor, and I've even been present at a handful of births, it's just not my expertise. So there's definitely some tachycardia going on with Sarah when (laughs) I know the baby's being born, Um, which is why I'm so grateful for people like you that know this stuff and love it. You guys are legit superheroes. I'm, I'm so grateful. Okay, so as I got to this woman, she has her butt like barely on the back seat. She's perched up with her heels kind of resting on the back side of the car and she's holding herself up with her hands and she lets out this deep like primal groan and her husband's still in the driver's seat and he <laughs> looks back to me he said is the baby coming and i looked down to see the head crowning and i said yes <laughs> i yelled behind me can somebody get me a blanket or a towel <sighs> i kneeled on the pavement facing the mom i looked under the eyes and i said mama you can do this. And the next thing out of her mouth was this loud, like, <laughs> and with that, the baby flew out at me. And honestly, I, I barely caught the slimy thing. It was so slimy and it came at me with so much more force than I was expecting. Someone arrived at that very moment with a towel and I kind of like half wrapped the baby up in it. And I started wiping off the mucus and like this cream cheese looking stuff off of its face. And it was blue. And I was just trying to stay calm for these new parents. And just as I was about to start worrying, the sweet little slimy baby let out a big old cry and immediately started pinking up. And I swear I was as relieved as the mom was. <laughs> so I plopped the baby on the mom's chest and continued to like stimulate it and wipe off, <clears throat> wipe off its face with a towel. And I said, you did it, mama, you did it. Your baby is here, you did it, congratulations. Like I'm like tearing up in the process, you did it. I looked at the dad who's in the front seat and he's like reaching back to kind of support his partner's back. Also trying to take selfies with his phone of the baby and the mama. And I said, your woman is amazing. She just birthed a baby girl in the backseat of your car like a boss. So all three of us are crying. And then I look at the mom. She's kind of still, hasn't really said anything yet. Still crying, kind of taking in her new baby who now has a big, strong cry. Thank God. Uh, so mom looks pretty stable, baby looks pretty stable. I look behind me and there's like 
25 people all just standing there staring at us. And I look kind of around me, and it looks like a murder scene. I mean, there's just so much blood and goop in the back of the car, on the ground, and on my knees. Ah. Next second, uh, the neonatal ICU team shows up. They come running up with a wheelchair, and someone yells, Put the baby in a wheelchair, and we'll take it up to the NICU. (laughs) I look back, and I was like, the baby is pink and crying. I'm not putting it in a wheelchair. I invited the NICU doctor to come assess the baby to confirm my opinion, and he agreed there's no need to rush the baby to the NICU. So the mom mouths to me, thank you. (laughs) But now we had the dilemma of how to safely transport these two to labor and delivery because I didn't have any cord clamps, and they're still attached to each other. So I said, does anyone have any cord clamps? So I guess they sent someone to labor and delivery to get one. And finally, after like, what's he like, eternity, someone came back and they brought one <laughs> cord clamp. <laughs> so we placed the clamp on the umbilical cord and the placenta was still inside the mom. And so just as smooth as we could, we had the mama hold the baby. She stands up, pivots into the wheelchair, sits back down. Again, baby is on mama's chest, attached to the umbilical cord, which is still inside of mommy with the placenta. So it was, they were, they were still attached to each other. Ah. <sighs> At this point, we had a freaking caravan of people with us. So it was me, the new mom and dad, the baby on mama's chest, what felt like the entire neonatology resident group. Um, A labor and delivery nurse had joined me at this point, security and the house supervisor. So we all crammed into the elevator. We wheeled her up to labor and delivery and the whole way there, I just kept saying like, mama, you did amazing, like congratulations. She's so beautiful. It was such an emotional moment. When we arrived in the labor and delivery room, uh, we helped her get into the bed and the labor and delivery nurse told her, you still need to deliver the placenta, which is the easy part. So I'm gonna place another clamp and let the dad cut the cord. And then we're gonna take your baby right over to the warmer to assess her. And the mom looked at me and pointed to my badge and then said to the nurse, her name is Sarah. No. The baby's name is Sarah. <laughs> I was like, oh, what a lovely name. And she said, yeah, we considered the name for a while, but hadn't really decided on one until just now. So thank you, Sarah, for your help. And I was like, my help? You did all the work. I was just the catcher. But it was an absolute privilege to be with you when Sarah was born. And with that, the dad cut the cord, and I watched as they brought Sarah over to the warmer. I stayed for a few more minutes and then said my goodbyes. But I would say that was the, one of the most exciting days of my career. And as I walked away, I thought to myself, oh, I could do this every day. And then I remembered how much I love old people (laughs) and managing emergencies and decided to stick with what I know best. But from that day forward, I started carrying a cord lamp in my fanny pack, just in case. So, Roddy Joe, what are your initial thoughts? Was there anything that you might have done if you were responding to this birth? Or how would you have directed that whole thing? Like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe one of the most important things is just to delegate you know, if you come upon that again, who's around you and just kind of delegate, Hey, I need you to call, you know, the charge nurse on labor and delivery. Um, but it sounds like everything went amazing. (laughs) So just a little, like, you know, when you're in emergency and in a code, like, you know, whoever's running it to be able to delegate and say, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. But, um, you know, most of the time in a, in a most normal verses, it just happens and you know and it's usually all good so okay yeah. awesome um so can you take a moment and just t- 
talk about precipitous deliveries and what clues you look forward to know that like, oh yeah, this baby's coming soon versus, oh no, we got some time. Yeah, most women will, they'll make some kind of cue that the baby is, is close to being born. I feel like most women will say the baby is coming. I mean, it's as simple as that. I could just be with a laboring woman in the room and and her just working hard and and all of a sudden she says the baby's coming. And and in fact, you know it is. I mean, there are times another thing would be grunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the contraction comes and it's strong, she is going to be involuntarily pushing mm-hmm. and grunting. Um and of course, if you can see the baby, you know it's coming. But those are the main things. Like a woman will say the baby's coming or starts to make some low kind of deep sounds mm-hmm. um, or, of course, seeing the baby. So you know how like on the movies, she's like, oh, my God, my water broke. And then the next second, like the baby flies out. How realistic is that, would you say? Because people yeah, I get mean, their education from TV. That, that, ha- that does happen sometimes, but I feel like most of the time – the water has been broke at some point prior to, you know, getting close mm-hmm. um, to delivery. So very rare that it happens like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So what are some things that you do or check for to promote a safe delivery for mom and baby? Yeah. You know, at the hospital, we are throughout labor, you know, the rooms are getting prepared um, different ways. Um you know, when the woman starts getting closer, we have like a delivery table kind of set up. We have a um, respiratory therapist and a baby nurse that attends each birth. And so they come and check the warmer and make sure it's all set up just in case of, you know, an emergency when the baby comes out, if they're not as, you know, stimulated and crying and and pinking up, they have the equipment ready and Mm -hmm. set up. I mean, I I think... You know, some of the things that we do during the process is we have different types of fetal heart rate monitoring. Um, There are some times where, and and a lot of times people are in continuous monitoring where we're assessing the baby um, the whole time in labor. There are times we use intermittent monitoring. So that woman that wants to go unmedicated and get up and move around and we know the baby is is doing good, she can come off the monitor. Um, And we have a policy for that at our hospital. So that's great. There are also times where we just do Doppler. Um, so the little handheld Doppler, there are times where we can just use a Doppler throughout. So what if you have nothing? Like you, you're yeah. at Target and yeah. this woman starts laboring right there in the aisle. You got nothing. Yeah. What are like the top three supplies you'd want someone to bring you? Anything you want in Target. I mean, I feel like if if I could get a bulb syringe, that would be great. (laughs) But let's be honest. You know, say you're somewhere where you can't get that, although Target has them. A blanket. Or if there's no blanket, a sweatshirt or some type of t-shirt. Something that you can wipe the baby off a little bit. Because we know that... You know, when when babies are wet and they don't get dry, they can lose heat and get cold. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Most babies will do great. And so, you know, it's great to have a cord clamp if you need one. But, you know, just we practice a lot of, of delayed cord clamping these days. So um, I would say the biggest thing would be a blanket or a towel or a shirt. 
And I can attest to, yes, it helps with warming the baby, but they're also really hard to get a grip on. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, they're yeah. so slimy. Yeah. So something to help you like grasp the baby. Yeah. A curtain or like right. anything yes. to hold. A yeah. sock. Um, because they come out slimier than they are in the movies. Let me just say that. And so if you don't have a bulb syringe, you could use that blanket or that towel to kind of, if you notice any mucus at the baby's yeah. mouth or nose, just to wipe it um, away. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. All right. So you got your towel. Awesome. Someone's looking for a bulb syringe for you. Yeah. You may get it. You may not. And you see the head crowning. Like, what's the first thing you do to make sure, like, the baby's going to be okay to pop right out? Or, like, what do you do? You check anything down no, there? No. I mean, when the head's there and it's just crowning, I keep both my hands on the head. And, you know, maybe that's a part of midwifery is that we really love to try to control that head and support the perineum mm -hmm. um, of the woman. But no, once the head comes out, then something that people could check for is, you know, you want to kind of just, t you know, go down their head to their neck area. And do you feel an umbilical cord anywhere? Um, I mean, there are so many times I deliver babies with the cord around the neck and they come out fine. So, you know, once the head comes out, you know, if that's something you could just like feel their neck and see. And if you do notice it, you know, when you feel comfortable and it's kind of loose, you can kind of just loop it over the baby's head. So then you okay. free it from around the neck. And then the woman, when she's ready, and she probably is because she's going unmedicated and she just has so much pressure, she is going to push again. Um, and that anterior shoulder, the shoulder that's um, right under the pubic bone is what's going to come out next. Um, and so many women are able to just kind of push that anterior shoulder comes out and then the rest of the baby um, flies out, comes out so fast, of time easy. <laughs> and then, right, you know, I just place the baby right on the mom's chest or belly. And, so know. it doesn't have to be like in the movies where like the baby comes out and they just whisk them off to this warmer somewhere. No, you just no. put the baby in the mom's yeah. chest and that's totally yeah. fine. Yes. You know, stimu if the baby doesn't cry right away, I think the biggest thing is stimulation, which is part of like drying off. So two places that we encourage, um, you know, if this happens to you, to stimulate the baby is their back, mm -hmm. just rubbing their back or their foot. That will most of the time stimulate them to take that first deep breath and that first cry. Um, yeah, that helps to stimulate them to do that. You can all breathe a sigh mm -hmm. of relief when we hear that, yes. yes. <clears throat> so if anyone were to find themselves on a plane or some inconvenient location, any tips or advice you would give them? I think you've already talked about that. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I think just staying calm. Okay. Just, you know, taking a nice deep breath letting it out and staying calm because a woman is, is going to need whoever is in that kind of main role to kind of stay calm so that then she will probably be a little calmer. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would say. Just stay calm and, and delegate. Yes. You know, if you're on a plane, say, who has a blanket? Who has a towel? Is there anyone here that is a nurse, is a labor and delivery nurse, works in labor and delivery, and then, you know, they can come and help as well. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, staying calm is uh, the hard part. That's something <laughs> yes. that you do really well, though. So another question for you, Marnie Jo. One thing that I'm very passionate about is advocating for my patients. Even if it means I feel uncomfortable and I have to really kind of go head-to-head -head with the team to get what my patient needs, I know you must encounter that as a midwife probably yes. frequently. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you do that both like mentally, emotionally, like what verbiage do you use when you know something's up with your patient and you need to advocate for them? 
How do you how do you do that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that just being confident, starting off just being confident, knowing your patient, knowing what's going on. Because if they start asking you questions back, you just know everything and are able to, you know, do that S bar, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that way of communicating, whether it's like you're giving a report to the next nurse or you're on the phone with that doctor and you need to tell them exactly why you're concerned and what is going on and just being persistent. I feel like when doctors encounter nurses that are confident, Mm -hmm. then they start to trust them more. Mm -hmm. So whether you are a new nurse, just learning this, or a seasoned nurse, you just are confident and you be persistent in the most professional way you can. And I feel like over time, doctors will, when they pick up the phone and you say, hey, this is Ronnie, I'm taking care of your patient in room, blah, blah, blah. They're going to say, oh, it's oh, it's Ronnie. She knows what she's doing. She's confident. I can trust her that she's calling me for something important. Yeah. I think just just gaining that confidence right away Mm -hmm. so that you can gain their trust and just pushing. I mean, if you get pushback, you just keep pushing. And then of course, just going to your charge nurse or to, you know, your manager as you need to just staying strong through it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So final question, is there anything advice or wisdom that you wish you knew before you started your career um, that you want to share with like a brand new nurse or anyone yeah. who's listening to my podcast. I say follow your heart. I will never forget, you know, growing up and always wanting to be a nurse. And when people would ask me, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a nurse. And they were like, no. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and they would be like, well, I'm a nurse. And, you know, these long hours and it's so hard. And, you know, and I just thought to myself as a young girl, and I never said this to them, but maybe you should reconsider what you're doing if you're not happy. (laughs) I mean, that's what I thought. Just follow your heart and know what you want to do and work hard and be passionate. Another thing, you know, I love my professors where I went to school for my undergrad, but they just thought I should go into med surge when I knew I wanted labor and delivery. They were like, you need to do med surge for a couple years. And I was like, no. No, I need labor and delivery. I want labor and delivery right now. Um, and they still said, no, you should. So if I feel like I should go back to them and say, no, never tell anybody that. So I got a job right away out of nursing school at Georgetown University Hospital. They had this amazing new grad program where they hosted this big event where you could sign up, I think, like two or three areas where you went that day and you interviewed with the managers um, on the units and labor and delivery was one of them. I mean, every, they had every, you want to start an ICU, they had a new grad program. And so I went there and I was interviewing with tons of people because I feel like labor and delivery is, is one where, you know, a lot of people want to be, you know, because it's a mainly happy place. And I'll never forget sitting across the table from the nurse manager at the time Um, which she was passionate about midwifery. And I just let my passion show, you know, public speaking and interviewing is sometimes hard, but Mm -hmm. I tell people, if you are just passionate, 
let it shine through with an interview and, Mm -hmm. and it will happen. And so I think there were 20 people interviewing and they were only taking five. Um, and I told her my goals. I was like, listen, I want to be a nurse midwife someday. And I love labor and delivery. Um, I told her about my sister's experience and yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is if you know where you want to be and what you want to do, just follow it. And work hard and don't get discouraged. Every job has pros and cons. Mm -hmm. You'll have hard days when you leave work. But there are so many good days that overshadow that. That's right. Yeah. Ranja, thank you so much for agreeing to be on this episode. I'm so grateful to have you on my podcast. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your passion with my listeners. Uh, You're truly a hero in my book and you make such a difference in the world. So it's an honor to know you. I've had you whenever I was doing my babies and to have you on my podcast. So thank you, Ronnie Jo. Thank you, Sarah. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email with questions or comments, and it would mean so much if you could take a moment to write a review on iTunes, as this helps more listeners find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. You've been listening to the Rapid Response RN podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient's care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponsernpodcast at gmail.com or on the Rapid Response RN Podcast Facebook page as well as the podcast website rapidresponsern.com.